Hi, I'm Christine Ming Ming Garner. I grew up living in fear, raised in a doomsday cult. They taught me I would die at a young age, that I would never graduate from high school, college, have a family or a career. In the years since my escape, I've been learning to overcome the fear and living my life with the purpose and by design. I'm a wife, a mother of three, an entrepreneur of a seven-figure business, and I'm on a mission to guide people to overcome their fears, to live a life of fulfillment as I have done. This is The Fulfilled Life with Ming Ming. What's up, everybody? We're back with Christine at Ming Ming Garner on the Fulfilled Life podcast. I'm super excited again to be here with her because we're going to be talking today really about how she got out of this doomsday cult. And if you haven't listened to the prior episode, episode number one, go back and listen to that one because Christine really shared her story about how she transitioned um, and her mom kind of put them into a situation where they were in um, a doomsday cult. And she was really talking about how she had no purpose at this point. And so I'm really excited today because we're going to be talking about how she started to reignite that purpose in her life and go on to make a multi-million dollar business and moving forward. So Christine, let's hop in. Are you ready to go? Ready. Let's do it. So give us a little bit of background on um, how you started to want to leave the cult yourself. So when I um, finished junior high and was going to transition into high school, they realized what a threat I was to their society because I was very social. When I was out of the house, I just felt free because I was like, oh my gosh, I get to go to school. I'm around normal people. And um, they didn't like that because they had always told me to keep all their secrets. And, um, you know, we they told me never to make friends and things like that. And that, that was really hard for me. And so, so going into my freshman year, they pulled me out of school and they said that they were going to homeschool us. But after a couple of weeks of trying, they just, they just quit because they're like, you know, it, why does it even matter? You're going to be dying soon. So your education doesn't matter. So um, that was, I finished an entire first year and then into my second year and I just, I just remember this one time. Okay. So during my first year, actually, I would sometimes escape from the house to go visit my friends at lunchtime. I didn't dare do it very often, but the times that I did do it and they found out I would get severely punished for that. And after, after a severe punishment that I received, I just decided, you know what, this is, I can't do this anymore. And I was like, I got to get me and my sister out. And so I started gathering up coins that I found around the house and, and literally stealing dollars from my mom's purse, just a little here and a little bit there. And over time, over several months, I was able to gather up almost enough money for a Greyhound bus ticket. And I remember the bus ticket being about $46. I was about $5 shy, but I was like, you know what? I, I know I got to get out and I know that somebody at the bus station will help me make it the rest of the way. So my plan was I was going to go to Portland, Oregon, where I had hoped my dad would still be. And I would stand at a street corner close to where my cousins lived and we used to live. And I would just have a sign that says, I'm looking for my dad, Kai Tran. Can you help me? And um, 
But this whole several months that I had been planning this and scheming this, I never told my little sister because I didn't want her to worry. But that day when I packed up my little bag that I had and the little sack of coins and everything, I just, I looked at her and I said, I have to go, but I'll come back for you. I promise. And just the look on her face, she's like, that was really hard. And um, there was only one window on the main floor of the apartment that we lived in that wasn't boarded up because they boarded up all the windows in preparation for doomsday. Because they said that if you were to look out the window, just the horrifying events could just kill you alone. So they, there was one window that they left open. And one of the reasons they left it open was because my sister and I would always say, you know, you, you can't deadbolt us in from the outside, which is what they did every day when my mom left for, for work. They deadbolt us in. We're like, we don't have a phone because they wouldn't let us have a phone. And I was like, what if we had a fire in the house? And then they're like, well, we won't board up that kitchen window in case you have a fire. So I, um, I crawled out that kitchen window and I promised my sister that I'd be back as soon as possible to get her. But on the way to the bus station, there's a policeman that lived nearby. And I went to talk to him and I said, this is my plan, I'm leaving. I'm gonna go find my dad, but my sister's still in that house and you need to go help her until I can get back. And he's like, I can't let you go. That's super dangerous. Um, and you'd be considered a runaway. He said, just crawl back into that window, pretend as if you and I never spoke and I'll send, for, I'll send help to you tomorrow. So the next day, um, we heard our dogs, because we had two huge German shepherds that were chained to the front porch to keep, to keep strangers away from the house. And um, we heard the dogs just going crazy. And so um, we, we ran upstairs and looked out the upstairs window and there was the police. And um, I think it was Child Protective Services and also my junior high principal. And he was there and um, my, my mom went out to see what was the matter. And then the police told her to come out so they could have a conversation with her. But unfortunately I couldn't hear any of it because the dogs were barking so loud. And I looked at my sister and I said, we better pack our bags because I think they're gonna take us to our dad, you know? And um, after at least an hour conversation, my mom came back in and she didn't tell us the conversation that they had but nothing changed and that was really hard for me because i thought we're gonna get out and they're gonna help us but then um later on that summer what happened is um my mom was just uncontrollably sobbing one day as we were praying and after our prayers i said mom what's the matter and uh, she looked at me and said, dad just attempted suicide. And she had heard this from a friend of a friend. And 
that was really hard for us to hear because we hadn't spoken to him in so many years and he didn't know where we lived and he didn't know if we were okay. And, um, so in very hushed voices, we had a conversation because although, um, although we lived in our own apartment, they had our apartment basically bugged. They had a speaker so that they said it was so that they could keep us safe. So if we ever needed something like a, like they had a fire happen or somebody chopped off the finger, you know, whatever, like right. they could listen in on us and help us. But we really, I know that wasn't the case. It was a form of control, but my mom whispered very, very closely into my ear. She said, and she, she told me this whole plan that she had come up with on, on how we were going to, um, connect with my dad. Cause she said, you know, he needs to hear our voice. He needs to know we're alive and we're okay. And so we, it was a Sunday and on Sundays we always stayed home and we prayed. And, um, so this particular Sunday, me and my mom and my sister, we walked out of the house and, and we, we kind of lived in a compound because we had cult members living to the left and the right and, and, and behind us. And so we're like, how are we going to get anywhere? And we didn't have a car. So we had to walk and we took the back roads because we didn't want anybody to see us. So we walked, it took about two to three miles to get to um, the grocery store. We lived in a really tiny town. It was in St. Anthony, Idaho. There's one grocery store and it's not open. Like hardly anything was open in St. Anthony mm-hmm. on Sundays. And, but there was a, a telephone booth, um, which I know some of the listeners might not know what a telephone booth is. <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of sad, but yes. <laughs> but um, basically it's, it's a telephone, a, a public telephone that you could put quarters in and it would give you about two to three minutes to talk. And so um, we walked there and my mom said, okay, we, we got to, make all these phone calls to try to get a hold of him because we didn't know his phone number. And my mom had this little black address book where she had phone numbers of all the people, um, of all of our extended family, but she hadn't spoken to them for like eight years. You know, once we, once we left and joined the cult, it was like you had to cut off everybody in your life that didn't believe. And so she was calling person to person, but the conversations were like, where have you been? You know, how, you know, how could you abandon your family? And we couldn't even get to the point where my mom was saying, where is he? Can you give me his phone number? And then every time the phone would die off, she'd try calling another person and then calling another person. And then pretty soon she ran out of quarters and we stood there just sobbing because we had come so far to try to get a hold of him. And then out of nowhere, there was this man that parked his car in the parking lot. We were like watching him like, don't you know it's Sunday? Like the store's not open today. And um, he came, he had quarters in his hand and he was going to get uh, a soda out of the soda machine. And he looked at us and he could tell something was very wrong. And he was like, um, 
can I get you a soda? And he was trying to make small talk and we wouldn't speak to him because we were literally getting caught like in a criminal act, according to the cult, you know, first of all, spending money on a Sunday. And then also, (laughs) you know, going to try to find my dad. So my mom wouldn't speak. She wouldn't even make eye contact. And finally I said, we're trying to get a hold of my dad. It's really important that he hears our voice. And he said, I have quarters. So he gave us the rest of his quarters. And then he left to the gas station to get more. And he came back and brought us more. And finally, we were able to get a hold of my brothers and um, my dad. And just hearing their voice was like the heavens had opened up. I hadn't spoken to them in so long. And then the next phone call my mom made was to my uncle in California. And she said, I need you to come pick us up and I need you to go take us to Portland, Oregon to see, to see him. And, um, that's when so much changed for me because reuniting with, with my brothers, my four brothers who I hadn't seen in so long. And then my dad, I was just like, Oh my gosh, maybe there is hope. And, but the sad thing is when I saw my dad, it was, He wasn't the man that I used to know, and I wasn't the girl that he used to know. When I left and he was exiled, I was seven. And at the time that I reunited with him, I was 15. So we never emotionally connected because, you know, there was such a huge gap. And then he was really addicted to alcohol and drugs and gambling and it was really hard to make that emotional connection. Yeah. Well, so, you know, a lot of people at this point are probably wondering, you know, like at what point did it fully end? I mean, was this the moment that you fully escaped or, or what happened after, after visiting your dad? So, um, at the end of the summer was, you know, the opportunity to go back to school and, I begged and begged and begged my mom to please, 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 please let me go back to school. I won't make friends. I'll be really quiet. I'll come home right after school. But I, I think what had been happening because every week she was leaving after the, the day after the police came, um, she was going to a particular meeting. Like it was like once a week after she came home from work. And I was assuming it had something to do with like maybe I don't I I wasn't exactly sure I was like thinking oh maybe she's taking a homeschool class so she could literally homeschool us um or maybe they made her take a parenting class like I wasn't sure exactly what she was doing but finally she was just like you know what just go I'm like sick and tired of you itching and moaning yeah (laughs) (laughs) get out and so I I finally got to go back to school and I was so so liberated and so excited. And, um, and I had a a friend I reconnected with her and I were friends from, um, the time we were sixth grade. Um, but then, you know, a couple years had passed. And so it was, it was really difficult to, to, to reconnect with my old friends, but she was one that I, that I did. And during home ec class one day, somehow we got on the topic of God. And typically I, always refrained from speaking about him because first of all, I was really scared of him Mm -hmm. because all I knew of him was that he was 
he would smite me, you know, at the first chance he would get. And that, you know, like he was out to get me. That was really what I had learned of him as a child. So I tried not to think about him. And then also I was told to never speak about religion or God because they didn't ever want me to expose what it is that we believed. Um, and so when she started talking about God, she called him Heavenly Father. And I was like, who are you talking about? <laughs> you know, like, and then it made me think, oh my gosh, maybe my mom was right. Like, maybe they do worship a different God. Like these people outside the cult, their God is not the same God as our God. But as we started talking, I realized it was her perception of God was completely different. The person that she knew was Heavenly Father, meaning he actually really, he was our Father in Heaven. He, he said he loved us. He knew us all by name. And his purpose was to help us to return to him. And I was like, really? Because I thought he was wanting to cast us down to hell. And so that conversation for me was the biggest turning point in my life because it gave me hope that I was like, wow, I have a lifeline that actually loves me, that wants what's best for me because my whole purpose, my childhood was to survive. And learning that he actually wanted me to thrive was transformational. Yeah. Wow. And so, you know, <laughs> we could go on for, I have so many questions, but <laughs> it's just really intriguing to see that, you know, you were able to, to have these, these couple turning points, you know, in, in the process for you and being able to take those and, and take them to what you have, which we are going to be sharing in these future episodes, honestly is going to be really intriguing. I think for everybody, especially for me. Um, and so before we finish this episode though, um, what, what did this do for you? You know, when you, when you figured out who God was and for some people, they might be listening to this saying, Hey, I don't, I don't believe in God or what have you, but the, the possibility of having, you know, somebody who was looking out for you and all of that, what did that do for you? I just knew I wasn't alone. Like this whole time when I always felt like I'm suffering alone and nobody understands what it is that I'm going through and nobody even cares that completely changed for me. Because as I started really praying, which is like just pouring my heart out to him and speaking to him, I could feel his love for me. And I knew it was real. And that's when I started detaching from the cult and what they were teaching me and really questioning all the things that they taught me. And my mom could tell that I was straying away from the fear because I started planning for college and things like that. But she was always like, no, you're not going to go to college. You're, you're going to be dying soon. And I was thinking, you know what? No, even if I did die today or I died tomorrow, I'm going to plan out my very best life because that's what he wants for me. And that's what I want for me. And she tried sending me to um, like Catholic, like summer camps and things like that to help me connect with other um, 
Catholic teenagers and just try to reel me back in. And, and one day she actually sent a friend over to our house to have dinner with us who um, was very educated and she was also part of the cult and she was trying to just kind of reindoctrinate some of these things that I was not believing anymore. And finally I just said, you know what? I don't believe it anymore. And my mom overheard it and she threw a frying pan across the room and she said, you're no longer my daughter, get out. And I left. Thank you so much for joining me on this episode of The Fulfilled Life with Ming Ming. If anything you heard was inspiring or resonated with you, please subscribe, leave a review, and share this with your friends and family. I'm Christine Ming Ming Garner. I'll see you in the next episode. Until then, always remember, fulfillment is your birthright.